Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of the Negotiation Podcast. This episode is number 200, an incredible milestone that we're excited to celebrate with our listeners. We'd like to extend a thank you to everyone who listens, as well as to all our guests whose knowledge and expertise have been the backbone of the last four years of work, helping us create content that serves as a bridge of understanding between the West and the APAC markets. We look forward to what the next 200 episodes will bring us. For this special episode, we're excited to bring you not one, but two guests, the co-founders of WPIC Marketing and Technologies, Jacob and Joseph Cook. The Cook brothers join us today from Nanjing. They've got some exciting news to share about WPIC's expansion in the market, as well as some fascinating insights looking back over the last four years. Jacob, Joseph, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, Todd. Big thank you to you as well for stewarding the podcast and negotiation through these last 200 episodes. As you know, we set out in the beginning, we wanted to create a space where we could have the smartest people uh, engaging in the smartest conversations as it respected to China. Cross-border trade in China. We since grew that out, obviously, across greater APAC. And you've done a tremendous job building a great community of fascinating people having some of the best conversations as it relates to the greater APAC area. Well, I appreciate that. But let's be honest, it's all due to WPIC's mission, uh, of course, negotiating the divide between the East and the West and furthering better business between the East and the West. And of course, all our guests whose intelligence and knowledge and expertise in the region have really been what has made this podcast what it is today. So I'll do thanks to you and I'll do thanks to them. For starters, tell us about the big announcement this week. Sure. As as we released out uh, years ago in 2019, uh, Jacob and I walked through this space behind me and it was concrete. And our chief operating officer, Jesse Jen, who's been with us for many, many years, uh, his hometown is in Nanjing. And we came through this uh, concrete facility and we signed the lease and we were drawing in dust on the ground and chalk on the walls what this layout was going to look like for this massive space to be able to handle over 200 people inside of it. I then left China, COVID hit. There was obviously a lot of press as Jacob uh, made it out, um, just basically one of the last flights out of Pudong, and then came to Vancouver where then he got stranded and we were stuck here. And we had an incredible journey <laughs> from a very distant area with Jesse to build out this beautiful facility that she did here in Nanjing. We always used Nanjing as a big operations hub with excellent relationships with the universities and colleges here as a way to acquire outstanding talent. And Nanjing being in the heart of Jiangsu province is a great environment to work within. We've got a great relationship with the um, government of, of Jiangsu here, who've been very supportive to us, as well as the municipal government inside Nanjing. And Jacob and Jesse have worked on outstanding relationships um, with the government here. And it's become a great hub for international trade and a great hub for cross-border trade between China and North America and all of Europe as well. We built this facility here. We then, of course, moved um, to open up large warehousing space, which we did down the street, where we opened up about an 80,000 square foot facility to be able to handle all of our logistics. And then uh, recently, um, last year in 2022, over in Longtan, we were one of the first um, foreign-owned companies to be able to get the license for the Longtan Free Trade Zone as well. So having a cross-border facility in the government-bonded Free Trade Zone um, logistics park as well. When we were building all of this, we also wanted to have an extension in another city also in Shanghai, which was going to allow for us to be able to work with brands, 
um, execute a lot of our strategy, do a lot of our whiteboarding alongside the clients and the partners that we work with, and to be able to have this backbone of operation inside of Nanjing. And then, of course, Hangzhou as well. Obviously, COVID really uh, prevented us to be able to do that. 2022 was a very precarious year in China, obviously. So I'm pleased to announce, um, as of the last few weeks, I've relocated to China full-time with the family, now living in Jing'an in Shanghai. And we've cut the ribbon for our brand new facility inside of Shanghai. And this now is our fourth office inside this country. The existing three campuses will stay in effect. And now I'm working on our community development, our association partnerships, our business development, and our talent acquisition inside of Shanghai to add another 40 to 50 people in that city. Amazing. Yeah, you really have to hand it to, I mean, even back in my days with when I was with SOSV in my venture capital days, Jiangsu, Nanjing, the government officials, always very forward looking, always enticing innovation out to Nanjing. So definitely got to hand it to them. They've always been that way. I guess they always will be that way. Great, great people to be working with over there. And just a short jump and a hop over to uh, Shanghai as well. So I'm imagining you're going to get to go back and forth pretty easily as well. So that's pretty cool. And if you look at critical mass as well, another key reason why we chose the area for our logistics facility, and Jacob can probably speak better to this than I can. I mean, what, Jacob, if we take Shanghai, Jiangsu, Anhui, and Zhejiang, I mean, what are we looking at? 120, 130 million people, arguably, all within same-day delivery for probably a couple of dollars logistics costs in that catchment area. So it serves as a really strong critical mass as well to support what we're doing with brands. Yeah, 100%. It's an amazing area, and you're planted right in the middle of it. So that's awesome. Definitely congrats on the new office. For those of you listening to us audio only, you should go check out the YouTube channel so that you can see the expanse of desks and people that are working behind Joseph on the video version over there. It's quite an incredible setup. I know that WPIC has had an impressive run in China since we launched the first episode of the podcast back in the summer of 2019. Tell us about WPIC's expansion in China since then. Yeah, well, time flies, Todd. Uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's really been about horizontal and vertical expansion inside the markets. You know, as Joseph said, that first podcast, we were probably outlining and blueprinting this facility that we're in today. Um, I remember even as we were uh, in construction, we actually had to uh, to slow down construction, add more live streaming studios. Just a few things, you know, I'm going down memory lane to at that time. It, it, and, and when we designed this, this facility was supposed to be a dual purpose facility where we were going to actually run some logistics out of here. Well, that didn't even hold for three months. We had another, you know, 72,000 square feet that we added just about 10 minutes away from here that same year. So by 2020, early 2020, we were up and going at this facility. Um, and that was probably full within a year. We'd already reached capacity. And that led us, you know, into May of 2021, opening up our other large facility in China uh, in Hangzhou, right across the street from Alibaba. You know, the logistics too, again, as Joseph said, opening up the bonded warehouse, we're now even in talks, you know, save the announcements, but uh, for another one as well, which I think we're going to be able to announce pretty soon. And new offices, we're now supporting a headcount here of about 300 in China and really becoming a full service growth partner. And that's everything from logistics to live streaming to, to merchandising. You know, we're, we're supporting new geographies now in the region too, as well, and an ever-growing client roster. It's exciting times, really. For those of you getting maybe a little thrown by the geography of everything we're talking about, Hangzhou is in uh, Zhejiang and then Nanjing and Jiangsu. They're all within about an hour of Shanghai, just to place it on the map for those of you who have never been. What about expansion outside of China, Joseph? 
Sure. Well, we've obviously been hyper-focused on China since the beginning. Our lives have been here for a couple of decades. Um, but we've been asked by many of the brands that we've worked with over the years to support in a lot of the neighboring markets. Um, and this started about 10 years ago. We moved into Japan about a decade ago to build out a very similar set of services that we execute inside of China. So Japan, um, it's a lot of the similar things that we're doing. We're functioning, you know, merchant of record, receiver of record, full go-to-market programming, full data, analytics, technical integrations, e-commerce activation, and the whole suite of digital activation, media, and content um, that we're doing in that market. Different technologies. We're obviously not working with you know, Douyin and Tencent and Alibaba. We're working with the Japanese technologies. Primarily, that's going to be Rakuten, Yahoo, Amazon, JP, and so on. So we've got great infrastructure inside of Japan. Um, with great programming and lots of going concerns inside that market. We also moved more broadly into Southeast Asia uh, about 18 months ago. Again, very similar story. We're moving into different technologies in that area. We're going to use a lot more of the Western social channels, um, the meta ecosystem, the ByteDance uh, ecosystem as well. And then, of course, into the Lazada shopping network. And that's great because uh, what we're able to do is just scale our capabilities across many different, arguably, you know, smaller markets on an individual basis and all of our logistics facilities that we have throughout the region currently are all fully licensed to be able to fulfill into those networks so this is great because now we're essentially using single source inventory to activate all of greater APAC um, we also have big moves and announcements that we're making for our South Korea programming we've been operational as you know in that market for quite some time we haven't made the big announcements about South Korea yet um, but we're getting great programming that we're um, doing with um, Copang, a big partner of ours, Neighbors, another big partner of ours, um, the logistics facility that Jacob was referring to that'll be announced soon. That's going to be related, perhaps, to something going on in South Korea that we're doing. Um, we've got an excellent team, an excellent network that we're working with, and we're having a lot of fun on doing a lot of great things um, on that side as well. So. Um, that's working out really well for us um, on the South Korean side. Um, we will have some other news, Todd, not ready to talk about it yet, about some further expansion as well. Lots of cliffhangers, lots of teasers going on here. I want to go back and look to China for a moment. What have been some of the major changes in China's e-commerce landscape? Joseph, maybe I'll throw it to you first. Before Jake breaks down some of the specific trends and some of the numbers, why don't we go and just talk a little bit overall about the incredible growth in China? Sure. So, well, I mean, let's look at this over the life cycle of the podcast. So 200 episodes, we started this, what, 2019? Mm -hmm. I think early in that year, right? So what was the size of the market? A trillion and a half, a little bit more. 1.8 trillion, I think, Mm -hmm. was the size of the e-commerce market um, in China that year. So the biggest in the world, um, 200 episodes later, now where are we at in 2022 was about a 2 trillion, uh, size market. And from what we're seeing, 2023 is going to be about a 2.2 trillion, um, size market. So if you look at, you know, compounded annual growth rates, like this is where it is at. If we look out, you know, over the next few years, um, we're seeing the forecast come into the big consulting firms, you know, arguing that China's going to hit about three and a half trillion, um, you know, before the end of this decade. So this is massive. Um, the other thing that's really exciting um, that we see if we look at, you know, what's happening in China compared to the rest of the world is if you look at just general penetration of retail and behaviors of the market, Jacob can speak to this way better than I can. But, you know, a good friend 
of ours, fellow consultant, Michael Zakur, you know, I remember when he was announcing, you know, Q1 2022, that, you know, basically in 2021, China had surpassed the 50% mark of retail purchases occurring online. And I think China was the first market in the world to have more than 50% of all the retail purchases are incurring online via e-commerce. And that's a huge deal. So, um, you know, we're basically wrapping our arms around that data and that reality. And we're obviously trying to activate and support and, you know, accelerate growth for brands as best as we can. But, you know, these are the things that are really exciting to me. And, um, you know, Jacob's a lot smarter on this. You can get a lot deeper on, on how he's seen that we're working with that intel. Yeah. And you know what? Shout out to Michael Zakur, a guy that we got to get back on the podcast here soon. He's been on a couple of times, but it's been a while. We need to get that guy back on. Jake, over to you. Talk to us a little bit about some of the trends over the last four years. Well, I think since we talked about it, you know, remember, again, when we were construction here, we had to stop construction for our three live streaming rooms and put that up to eight and redesign sort of midfield. And that just really tells you how fast it was growing. You know, in 2019, it was about 60, 62 billion dollars US in live streaming sales online. We're expecting about 600 billion this year. So, I mean, that's a 10x in in the four years this podcast has been around. That's really phenomenal growth. It was partly fueled by the pandemic, but it's been a sticky trend. I mean, we're more than a year, year out of the pandemic right now. And and no real end in sight. Industry was obviously concentrated by a couple of big ones who amassed billions uh, of personal fortune with both Via and Austin Lee. There was some deplatforming pressure, content issues, and now we really see a much more fragmented industry whereby we have millions of live streamers online right now, all of them building up their own individual audiences. We bet early on this trend and we were rightly rewarded for it. But there's also been the rise of other apps too coming out. Kwai Show becoming a big one, Pinduoduo, Douyin, and WeChat. You know, Timo still definitely has the dominant market position but we're seeing a lot more strategic investments in this type of content. You know, the way we've always looked at this too is we've seen more traditional e-commerce platforms be kind of search-based where they didn't you know, in their algorithms doing recommendations, usually based on things that you've already bought. But live streaming kind of replicates that mall experience where maybe people didn't go there with that pre-intended purchase intent. They knew they were going shopping, just similar to what their uh, mentality would be about going to a mall. But they're looking for recommendations and they're buying those recommendations. You mentioned there the shopping norms have adjusted more online, more live streaming, more social commerce. What about consumer trends themselves? Joseph, I'll ask you to jump there first, and then we'll go back to Jake. Sure. I mean, where I sit, typically, right, working with the brands outside the market um, and trying to understand, you know, how they're looking at China and how they want to rethink about it. There's a realization that there's a general maturation of, um, of the consumer inside of China, right? So, you know, historically, you know, brands could basically rely on, um, you know, kind of general macro fad to encourage purchase. That's why you had really strong success with like a, a, a few big brands in the market doing big things and sucking up a lot of that consumer oxygen that was going on. So now that we've seen the maturing of the actual consumer base inside the market, right? People are branching away from the sort of cliche, obvious purchase. So maybe somebody's not going to buy, you know, the two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand dollar bag, luxury bag, the LVMH accessory. They're going to go and spend three, four, five thousand dollars on a variety of other items: an Apple iPhone, 
you know, for two grand in China, you know, $300 AirPods, a $1,500 watch, um, an Apple watch, a $200 pair of shoes, $500 worth of Lululemon gear on them, you know, and a great pair of Ray-Bans, right? And then be driving around in a brand new Tesla or a brand new BMW. So the spending is still going on. It's being channeled into different areas across a variety of other really great brands that are very obvious brands inside of the West. And so we're seeing now a fragmentation where the, the consumer is now basically finding individuality through their purchases, like is obviously the case in the West, right? So this is providing really, really great opportunity. And I think what now the brands are recognizing globally is they need to come a lot closer to where the consumer is inside of China, right? Historically, being able to work with simply a distributor and let them take it doesn't really cut it anymore in China. You've got to collapse that delta between buyer and brand. So the brand can curate their community, work closely with their consumers, interact with them, be more authentic, engage with the market at large, and help define what the brand and the brand position is inside the market. So it creates a great opportunity to not rely on real estate monopolies to get brick and mortar through distributors. Now they have an opportunity to fight for their market share and communicate directly with their target consumer base inside the market. Jake, talk to us a little bit more about the trends and the verticals and highlight some of those. Yeah, well, I'd I'd say there's probably been three major trends. I think one for sure in the last few years, it's been health and wellness, probably partially fueled by the pandemic. But, you know, exercise is becoming a huge thing. Nutraceuticals, supplements, vitamin consumption, these have all been way up and they've held post-pandemic. I think lifestyle, as Joseph was saying. You know, spending on pets is way up. There's fewer babies, however. You know, hobbies like sports and you know, snow, skateboarding, travel, winter sports are all huge right now. Skiing, snowboarding. These are all set to be some of the largest uh, markets, even for outdoor sports in the world. They want to enjoy their spare time. You know, um, it's less, I think, about just sort of being head down, face down in your work for this much and, and how to enjoy life. We also are coming off record setting numbers in terms of uh, travel and golden week. I think it really goes to enforce this lifestyle trend. Um, and then three, I think, you know, the rise of strong domestic brands like Perfect Diary or Genki Forest making beverages, you know, which also talks, as Joseph was saying about the maturation of the market, strong local talent, you know, with teams that are basically ingesting the data from the market and making products that are very specific to, to Chinese consumers. We've actually seen now foreign brands really follow a lot of those lessons that we've seen from Perfect Diary over the last little while. You know, it was never really, I think, about nationalism, but more it was about it's, you have a company like Perfect Diary that can look and say, hey, 70% of lipsticks in China are sold between 109 and 129 renminbi. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to make lipstick that's 119 renminbi across the board, and they're going to do really well at that price point. Um, and now you've seen much larger cosmetic brands really follow their lead and start designing uh, prod- uh, products that are really made for that consumer here. The negotiation, four years, 200 episodes, puts us in the top 5% of podcasts globally. We have been through it all. And what a big part of that has been over the last four years is, of course, the thing that we would rather not talk about these days, which is COVID. But we've been there. We were there before. it. We were there through it. We're here after. I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about COVID. What was the impact and how do things stand now? Joseph, throw that to you. Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess, in those early days. It's interesting. We have an interesting relationship with COVID because I was in China in early December 2019. And we heard about stuff then, right? Connections to embassies, relationships that we have amongst various official channels. Something was brewing. 
we heard about it. We knew about it. We knew about it in December full tilt. And we knew in our heart to hearts, this was coming to the West full scale, full scale. Um, so we tried to start to prepare for it. But yeah, once January hit and it went, it was... It, it was a it was a tough time for us because there wasn't a lot of great intelligence and you know you're doing roll call with a couple hundred people in the company a couple times a day is everybody okay it's unknown so all you can really do is virtually put your arms around the team and just squeeze and hold on tight and yeah that was that was an emotional period of time for us um, I think we built a lot of muscle memory though in those first 30 days instead of December, January when we were experiencing it without any kind of greater mass knowledge about what was going on. So when it then kind of really went global and went through the West, um, we'd sort of already been browbeat a little bit on it. So we weren't as um, sort of shocked at that point in time. But like anybody and then any sort of business operator or management team, yeah, I mean, we had to sit around the table you know, on a Saturday afternoon, you know, kind of, you know, late February, early March and make those decisions. Hey, should we just sort of like chill out for a couple of weeks and let this thing run its course? Or do we, you know, pack up and is this it? And, you know, we basically made the decision and then Todd, you know, I mean, you were involved in those conversations is look, we've got a responsibility to our brand partners. We've got a responsibility to our staff and our teams to keep this thing going and go full tilt. And we're going to lean in. And that's what we did. And we leaned in and we haven't really stopped leaning in. And we just kind of use that as our ongoing strategy um, through the whole, through the whole period of time, China, Shanghai. I mean, yeah, for the last couple of years, it's been up and down and up and down and up and down. And it's been very unknown. And we just kept with that strategy. We're going to lean in, lean in, lean in 2022. We saw, agencies and go-to-market partners and growth partners and consultants and you know tps basically just close up and run um we saw that happen on mass last year in china and again we just stick with dementia lean in lean in lean in and i think that's you know from where i sit that's a big reason why you know we've come out of it you know tremendously stronger much bigger and you know with a team that's really really tight and in sync with each other that's that's how i you know reflect on it Jake, your thoughts on the last four years and, and COVID in between? The first year of the pandemic, I think it was a big boon for e-commerce, right? With basically retail being shut down. More people started shopping online. More industries were available. You know, people like things like cars and home appliances were traditionally not online purchases. And those norms actually became permanent uh, post-COVID. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the different trends that are fueling growth right now, lifestyle, etc. Supply chain issues. You know, that was a real big one over the pandemic is, is getting multiple facilities open. We actually had a temporary facility in Hangzhou as Nanjing was going through some outbreaks there too as well. And part of the reason that we have so many logistics facilities in the networks that we do is just just that overall attitude of leaning in, rolling up the sleeves and staying open, continuity of service, which was really, really big for us. And we did. I mean, at no real point, because of how we're spread out and decentralized, did we ever get uh, any 100% shutdowns, even as the offices were going through COVID outbreaks of their own. Amazing. And Jacob, you had a great um, point, Todd. You'll remember this as well, but you it, the analogy, you sort of summarized it on one of your interviews with Bloomberg, where I think you had David, the anchor, finally like break character on it, right? And he was asking about changes in behaviors and the rise of online grocery shopping apps and stuff like that. And Jacob, you made the point. You said, look at, I mean, people have been buying their food in China the same way for 2000 years. And all of a sudden they just changed overnight and that habit just broke. And the convenience of digital transformation basically replaced all of those market norms. Right. And it maybe took some catalyst like COVID to really break those patterns the way that we did. So 
like as we've seen, it's not going back. So all of this that's happened and all these changes, good, positive, and some obviously not with, you know, obviously devastating health effects. But yeah, we are where we are today. And I would agree with Joseph. We're, we're in a much stronger position and, and ready to lean in. Well, thanks very much, gentlemen. Appreciate that. Can you share a little bit about what's next? Well, like you said, a lot of cliffhangers hmm. um, going on, but I will give you one hint, Todd. There's something big. What can I say? Some huge southerly news coming soon, mate. I know that you've had a lot going on and I know that uh, you've been expanding in a lot of different places. And I think for the listeners, they'll probably be able to see that this podcast is also going to be expanding along with everything that WPIC does. So for those of you listening that have been staying with us for a while, who look to us as that source of information, that boots on the ground, finger on the pulse of everything that's happening in China. And the reason that you're doing it is because you're looking for an advantage in whatever you do, whether you're an investor or you're a brand owner, or maybe you're just a China enthusiast or you're a Southeast Asia enthusiast and you know that the future of AI or EV is coming from that area of the world and you want to be on top of it, well, stay tuned because we're going to be expanding our coverage. We're going to be expanding our our guest list and those that come on the show. So we've got some really exciting things coming for the next 200 episodes after this as well. But I'm going to close it off there for now. Happy 200th episode. Happy opening of the Shanghai office. Happy return to China, Joseph. Jacob, Joseph, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you, too. Thanks, Todd. Thanks Thanks for being here for all those years. You bet. It's been my pleasure and my honor for sure. For those of you listening to the audio only, please don't forget to go over and check out the YouTube channel. We've got great shorts. We've got a lot more information over there. Check out the WPIC YouTube channel where you will find this show in video format. And of course, it's always available on any of your favorite podcast platforms in audio only version as well. But thank you to everybody. Thank you for staying with us for 200. We'll see you in the next 200. Thanks again. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.